Take your Bible with me this morning and go to two places. First of all, John chapter 15, and then 1 John chapter 2. I want to read the first five verses of John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Today I want to look at the subject, Abiding in Christ. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for the privilege of sharing it with others. And I pray that it will go forth in power, that the Holy Spirit will use it in our hearts. Lord, I'll be saying nothing new today, but may the reminders or just reflecting on truth from your word be an encouragement and give us direction for this week. Thank you. We can begin this week in your house, and we pray that you will glorify yourself, and we will carefully give you the praise for it, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we're going to begin a three-part series entitled, How to Survive. As we observe the events that are taking place in the world today, it seems that the time is coming when believers will have to deal with survival in a more wicked, Christ-hating world. In order to survive, the first thing needful for the believer is to abide in Christ, which is, abiding in Christ, is the development of a deeper personal relationship with Christ. A deeper personal relationship with Christ. We see here that Jesus says he is the true vine, we are the branches, and we are to abide. Because if we do not abide, we can do nothing. And it's important that as believers, we remind ourselves of that. And we remember that. There are times that we're going to be faced with challenges of events that we are involved in, and we're figuring, how am I going to get this done? Abide in Christ. Or things that are going to come our way that seem impossible for us to deal with. How are we going to deal with them? Abide in Christ. By daily developing that closer relationship with him enables us when the challenges of life come to be able to deal with them then. If we decide to develop a relationship with Christ after we are having a difficult, hard challenge that we're dealing with in life, that's too late. The abiding must be continuous. It must be all the time. So with that in mind, let's go over to 1 John. And we're going to look at this concept of abiding in Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep 
his commandments. Now notice John says, I'm writing to you, little children, that you sin not, or so that you may not sin. So that you, when you face life and deal with things, you say, well, should, I should not do. You will know. I'm writing to you so that you'll know what to do so that you do not commit sin. However, he says, if you sin, I really appreciate that. Because if it didn't have the last part of that verse, I would be in real serious trouble. I'm not using that as an excuse to commit sin. But being human as I am, I do sin against God. I do fall short of the glory of God. And because I do, and God knew that we would, we have an advocate. We have somebody in heaven right now pleading our case with the Father. And that's Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that is to know that we have someone there to plead our case and we don't have to pay a monthly retainer fee. But it's all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank God for that. So we see the first thing in verse number three. And hereby we do know that we know him. So the first thing that's necessary in this spiritual process of abiding in Christ, and it is a spiritual process, is knowing him or having an acquaintance with him. It's not knowing about him, but I have an acquaintance with him. I spend time with him. Yes, we fellowship together. That's the first thing. The second thing, verse four, he that saith I know him and keep not his commandments is a liar. Someone who says I know him, but I don't have an acquaintance with him. I don't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So first of all, I have an acquaintance with him. I have the knowledge. I know him. Secondly, I am in him and he is in me. Fellowship. I know him and I fellowship with him. Two people get married so they can have fellowship with each other. So they can spend their life together, sharing together, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. But there is that fellowship, that acquaintance together. Verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So abiding in him, there's that constancy, there's that steadfastness, that loyalty he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as Jesus walked. If I say I abide in Christ, then you ought to be able to look at my life and say he's walking and talking with Jesus because his life demonstrates a Christ-likeness. So there is that spiritual process. Know him, be in him, abide in him. Now notice the word ought. He himself ought to walk. It's an obligation, but not in the sense of a must, but in the sense of I want to, therefore I will. If I am in Christ, that means I've been saved. That means I understand to some degree the sacrifice that was made in my behalf for my salvation. I appreciate the gift of God that he has given me. And it changes my wanter. It changes me from wanting to go the way of the world to wanting to go the way of Christ. It just changes my whole frame of mind, my whole attitude. 
So now I have placed in my heart and mind, I have to live for the Lord. Not because I'm obligated, even though I am, but I do it because of what I have in Christ, because of how gracious he's been to me, because I have the gift of eternal life. Therefore, this ought to is a matter of I want to. Therefore, I will. So the abiding in Christ is not just, oh, I have to abide in Christ. No, it's a I want to abide in Christ. It's a desire. It's a direction that I go. It impacts who I am, the way I think, the way I talk, the way I treat others, the way I live my life. So we see some things here. First of all, Point one, to abide in Christ leaves no room for the world. We're living in a day where Christians are struggling with where the world fits in. And unfortunately, in many circles, many religious circles, they're not taught about a proper perspective concerning the world. We live in this world. We live in the influences of this world. But we don't have to be worldly in the way we live our life. So to abide in Christ leaves no room for the world. Let's pick up with verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which things is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. There's no cause for stumbling in the way he's living his life. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we see, first of all, we are to have a disassociated relationship with the world. If I'm going to abide in Christ, it leaves no room for the world in my life. Now, he defines what he means by the word world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's not talking about people. He's not talking about the earthly world we live in or on. He's talking about that sinful side of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We are not to love those things. What does the world promote? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, you look around at cars and 
I like to look at cars. I mean, it's just, I guess it's a guy thing, you know? And as I look at cars, I see some that I think, oh, that is ugly spit. That's the ugliest thing I've ever, why would it? But then I think, I'm not paying for it. They like it, they can drive it. Now, if they offered it to me, I probably would take it, sell it, and buy what I wanted, you know? But there are cars that I see, oh man, now that is a sharp looking vehicle. And there are others that I look at and I say, hmm, I'm okay. You know, it'd be all right, but it's nothing that really stands out about that vehicle. But I just, I just like looking at automobiles, especially when I'm riding down the road. Instead of watching the highway, I'm looking at cars. <laughs> no, Bonnie says, hey, get your eyes back on the road. <laughs> but seriously, do we live in this world? And there are things in our world that we like. But the concept here is those things control my life. So we see, first of all, he says, love not. Love not the world. Don't have an emotional attachment with. So as whatever love strongly influences one's way of life and thinking. I live in the world, but I've got to keep this mentality that whatever God has given me to enjoy or use in life belongs to God. He's just loaned it to me. And if he sees the need to take it back or destroy it or give it to someone else, that's his privilege. I'm just using what he has given to me in my life. And so I try to be thankful for what God has given to me. And God has been very gracious to me and to Bonnie. He has blessed us. And we are very careful to give him the thanks for it and recognize that it all belongs to him. So I'm not to develop a mentality that that's mine. Don't touch it. That's mine. And and I live my life for it. I let it control who I am. I let it control my, my lifestyle. I'm not to love the world because all the things in the world of themselves, for the most part, I'm, I'm going to say 100%, but most all things in the world are just neutral. It's what you do with them. Internet is neutral, but it's what you do with it. Television is neutral, but it's what you watch. Radio is neutral, but it's what you listen to. And so as I allow things to impact me, I have to be sure that what's impacting my life is Christ-like, not world-like. Because all the things in the world, if I use them in the wrong way, will produce the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And that's what Satan wants people to do with the things of the world. And that's what's happening in our world. The things of the world are being used for the most part for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And therefore, I am not to love the world. What is the world? It is, first of all, the sum of total human behavior on this earth, which is apart from and hostile to God. Secondly, it's also earthly things, possessions, which draw the believer away from following Christ. So as I abide in Christ, I must be sure that I have a proper attitude about this world. 
Secondly, to abide in Christ produces a desire for his return. Look with me. Let's go on, picking up at verse number 17. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Or you have a nudge from God, which is the Holy Spirit, and he reveals what we need to know. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, or those who would try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And that again, that's the Holy Spirit. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Notice, every man that hath this hope in him. There's a constant hope in him. And when that hope is there, it impacts the way he lives. So abiding in Christ produces a desire for his return. Chapter 2, verse number 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. Again, this word abide means to stay, to dwell, to remain in the person of Christ. And when that person appears, point B, or as the word appear means to be manifested, to make himself visible, 
when he comes in return for his church, the New Testament age believers, we, the church, who are alive when he comes, will have confidence, point C. We'll have bold assurance because we have been dwelling in Christ. Now think about it for a moment. According to what the scripture teaches, I personally, when I say personally, that means my opinion. You may differ with me if you like, that's fine. But I personally believe things in the world are going to get a whole lot worse. But what I read in the scripture and what I see happening, but just think about it for a moment. As bad as things are now, how would it make you feel if Jesus came at this moment and took us out? Wouldn't that be really reassuring? We could look down at the world and say, I told you so, but you wouldn't listen. Notice what he says here in verse 28. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We may have confidence, this bold assurance, because we have been dwelling in Christ. And he says that we may have confidence and not be ashamed or dwelling in Christ, abiding in Christ, removes the need of being embarrassed or ashamed of how we're living our life in this present world. Abiding in Christ is a safeguard against being caught in a sinful behavior when Jesus comes. The last thing I want to be doing is committing some sin when Christ comes to take me home. Years and years ago, years and years, I should multiply that by about 100 times. When I was growing up as a kid, I grew up in the coal mines of West Virginia. And our heating source was an old, round, black, pot belly stove. To me, it seemed extremely high because I was small, but it was probably four feet, three feet, four feet off the floor, probably about four and it was round, and my dad would put coal in there, and that's how we heated our home. Well, in the summertime, it started warming up, he would clean up the stove inside and out, and he would take this old black stove polish, it was a liquid, and he would polish that stove, and it would shine. When winter came, and they started burning a fire again, and obviously, you know, that changes. I, as a young kid, loved to melt crayons on the outside of that stove. Don't tell me why, but I will always do it on the back side of the stove, you know, against the wall so it wouldn't be found. But then, you know what would happen? Because my dad would keep the poker, as he called it, back where he poked the fire and the shovel back there and the ash bucket. He kept it behind the stove. And you know what happened? He would look and there's the evidence of what I've done. Now, I'm an only child. But my cousin would come about once every six months to stay overnight. And guess what would happen? My dad would say, Ron, did you melt crayons on the stove? No, dad. You know what that feeling was when I, I knew I was guilty. I knew I got caught. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And I was scared because I had gotten caught in my deed. I don't want to be that way when Jesus comes. When the announcement comes, and he lets us all know he's coming, I want to look up and say, hallelujah, I have been waiting for you. I am so excited that you have come. 
I don't want to say, oh my goodness, I am in trouble. Now, I'm not going to be judged for what I've done. I will lose a reward for what I've done. The believer has already been judged at Calvary. Our sin is under the blood. But I don't want to lose a reward because of a sinful behavior in my life. So as a believer, I have a desire for His coming. A desire to see Him come. And I don't want to be ashamed when He comes. So He says here, We abide in Him that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. When He comes. And He is going to come. The Scripture tells us that. Colossians 3, 4 when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. We dwell in Him now, but we shall enjoy becoming just like He is when He comes. Because when He comes to take us out, He's going to change us. And what's lacking in our life that isn't Christ-like will be changed and we will be glorified and we will be like Jesus and abiding in Christ now on this sin cursed earth causes us to have the longing to want to be like Jesus now and if I'm abiding in Christ that is a mental attitude I have it impacts my life it impacts my thinking it impacts the way I conduct myself in this world So to abide in Christ leaves no room for the world. To abide in Christ produces a desire for His return. And third, to abide in Christ produces a holy, sin-controlled life. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 6, Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither knoweth Him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, or he that practices righteous living is righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Our works do not impact our salvation, but our works are impacted because we are saved because we have been born again, because we have been changed. They impact the way we live our life. And therefore, John says, those people who live like Christ are Christ-like, and they are righteous. He that committeth sin, on the other hand, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning, or he that practices as a lifestyle sin. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that He might destroy the works of the devil. Before God saved us, we lived that way. We practiced the works of the devil. It was our lifestyle. But when Jesus came, He gave His life to break that bond so that we could be changed, that we could abide in Christ. So whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Or he cannot practice as a lifestyle, long-term sinful behavior. Now, there are people who believe that you can be saved and go out and do what you want and still go to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. 
The Bible teaches when you become born again, your life will change. The Bible also teaches that God chastens his children. God will not allow his children to go on forever without chasing them for their sinful behavior. One of the things I know about being saved in my life is the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart when I sin. Chastening doesn't have to be God bringing out the board and turning us across his knee. It can just be, you know what, you did, you messed up. And I can be broken over that. And if we're walking in Christ, if we're abiding in Christ, he won't have to bring out the board. He won't have to bring out the belt. His simply speaking to us will be adequate. But if there's a believer that refuses to listen to the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit in conviction, then God will do what's necessary to get their attention. That's what the Bible teaches. And so John says in this verse, whoso is born of God, verse 9, doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So to abide in Christ produces a holy, sin-controlled life. First of all, we see to abide in him, and then the phrase sin not in the first part of verse 6. Dwelling in constant fellowship with Christ removes the desire to live a sinful practice and a sinful life habit. Secondly, there is a definite distinction in believers, those who abide in Christ and those who do not. In verse 7, those who abide in Christ are not characterized by a lifestyle filled with sinful practices. The lifestyle of those abiding in Christ is behavior and practices in keeping with the way Christ lived his life on earth. In verse number 8, we see the distinction made possible by Christ's coming to the earth. Those whose lifestyle is characterized by sinful practices are not Christians. Therefore, they do not abide in Christ. This word phrase commit in verse number 8 is the idea of dwelling in a lifestyle, is of the devil. They belong to Satan. They're Satan's property. They're members of Satan's family. Secondly, one of the things Christ came to accomplish was to give us victory over sin. He was manifested. He made his appearance on earth to destroy, to break the power, and thus the hold of Satan on us as believers. In verse number 9.E, those belonging to Christ through the new birth have been freed from living a lifestyle of sinful practice. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit. The word commit is to abide, to dwell in sin. For his seed remaineth in him, the new birth and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse is not teaching we'll never sin. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 clearly tells us that we will sin and what we do when we do. But the idea here is a lifestyle, a life preference, a life that's characterized for the most part by holy, righteous living. You hang around me long enough, you're going to see my sinful side. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I am. Same with you. But we have an avenue to get rid of that sinful side and abide more in Christ. Now, the last thing I want us to think about is those who do not abide in Christ. 
First of all, point A, they, it leaves no room for Christ in their life, but all the room the world demands of them. First John chapter 2, verse 15. B, the commandments of God are not important. They're not important. First John 2, 4. And see, the practices of sinful habits is a lifestyle and has not had a desire to have victory over sin. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who name the name of Christ but live by these last three concepts. They don't have room in their life for Christ, but they got all the room in their life for the world. The commandments of God are not important. You can tell them and it's just like going in one ear and out the other. And third, they do not have any desire to have victory over the sinful practices in their life. A distinction. If we're going to survive in this world now and in future months and years, we're going to have to abide in Christ. In order to survive in this sin-cursed world, the believer must ever desire and pursue abiding in Christ. This is a lifelong pursuit. It never ends as long as we're alive on this earth as believers. It's a lifelong pursuit filled with much success and some failure. However, the pursuing believer does not give up, but continues the pursuit until Christ calls them home. Survival in this world, first of all, I must look at my life and say, am I abiding in Christ? Because if I'm not, I'm going to be fearful. I'm going to make wrong choices. I'm going to live my life like it's my last day on earth. But if I'm looking to Christ and I'm abiding in Christ, I'll live my life as though I have an eternal future with him. And it impacts the way I do things today. We're living in very challenging times. What do I do as a believer in certain areas and certain things? God help us to abide in Christ and he'll show us individually what we ought to be doing and help us to make right choices. Father, I come to you now, first of all, my own behalf. Help me to abide in Christ even more than I have. Forgive me for where I have not. Help me, Lord, to have a christ life focus, that I may never forget what he has done for me, that I may never forget that he is my Savior and my Lord. May I have a desire to live for him. May I be one of those who ought to walk as Jesus walked, out of desire, not out of restraint. Help me, Lord, to have the wisdom when I have to make certain choices to make the right ones. And to make it because I know it's pleasing to my Savior and not worry about what the world thinks about it. Only you know what the future holds for all of us. But while you tarry your return, may we abide in Christ so that we might survive. Jesus clearly said that he is the vine and we are the branches and that we are to abide in him because without him, we can do nothing. Help me to remember that that I must have Jesus in my life and I must be following him so that I can do what I need to do. Be with those in our church who are ill, who 
who are dealing with the coronavirus or who have been exposed, those who in this time of year are battling colds and flu and sinus conditions. Help us, Lord, to have healing as you see fit. Keep each of us safe as we leave here today. As we abide in you, may we glorify you and be all that you would have us to be. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you for the hope we have because of Jesus. Thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit to instruct us and teach us on how to abide in Christ. So we commit this body of believers to you, this church family as a whole to you, and we thank you that we can in Christ's name. Amen.